we're joined today by our good friend, Dave Kohler-Brown. Dave, we met at University at King's College London. I worked with him at Crystal Palace Football Club in the academy. We went on some good tours, um, shared some rooms, interesting times when we were away, sharing three, three to a room on a Crystal Palace tour, no expense spared. But no, it's, um, thanks for joining us today, mate. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be on. So the reason we've got you on today is because you are an expert. Is that not too much to say on uh, on workplaces and and uh, and tell us your, tell us what your title is and, and a bit about what you do? Yeah, so I'm, I'm by no means an expert, still learning. But um, I work uh, so I'm qualified as a physiotherapist um, at University of Ben and Paul, um, and I then moved from private practice across to occupational health and the occupational health field is uh, in terms of physiotherapy is really looking after people's well-being within the workplace um, it's particularly focused around musculoskeletal injuries but it can encompass a number of other things such as where people have been off work trying to help the em employer and, and the employee getting back into work um, trying to stay on top of any injuries that people are experiencing at work particularly around the workplace setup um, and most importantly actually trying to prevent injuries coming on through good practice and good working behaviors um, which hopefully we can discuss today and people can take a few tips away from yeah i mean it's pretty unprecedented in terms of right now during the pandemic that people's workplaces have probably never changed so much um, how are you finding it in terms of your role and what you're having to do and adapt at the moment? Yeah, it is unprecedented and I am probably in the same boat as a lot of people um, in terms of working from home full time. We're having to just adapt to doing all of our um, support and, and, and service over the phone really. So that is a challenge, but um, it's, a, it's a good challenge to have in a way because a lot of people are struggling in terms of their home setup and, and trying to manage pre-existing injuries or or um, you know, working off a laptop that's down by their knees and they've got their wife working on the table opposite and it, it's thrown, thrown everyone. Uh, it happened very quickly, didn't it? So, um, but no, I'm, I'm lucky that I've, I've got that job and I'm, I'm trying to uh, just make the best of it. So, uh, yeah. Uh, there's a few tricks that I've learned as I've gone just through my own practice anyway so I'm sort of I'm normally preaching it and not following it myself but <laughs> I'm now having to actually think about it and, and try and work out what's best for me um, and there isn't a set rule um, everyone's an individual and different things work for different people so that's something hopefully we can explore and people can find something useful uh, for themselves. Um, Paul I think we had the Part of the reason, obviously, apart from Dave being a top bloke and having him on the podcast, but <laughs> one of the reasons that we wanted to get you on um, is because we uh, had a couple of questions come in um, about um, workplace and problems. And, and what, what was the question, Paul? Uh, for workplaces, well, there was, as we all went to university together, I thought there was a good question from a lady called Claire Gologli. And she said, in your opinion, what are the most important skills not academic needed to be a good physiotherapist? I thought this is quite a good thing for us to get stuck into before we go on to the workplace stuff. Yeah, good idea, mate. I'm jumping the gun a little bit with the workplace stuff there. <laughs> 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 Definitely great. Um, so I've, I know this could get quite fiery as well. So 
I'll let you guys start with. Well, Dave, what what's your opinion of that? And then me and Ben can go after. Um, well, not my strongest suit, but punctuality is something we joked about even before we started this podcast because um, nine o'clock starts turned into a nine o five for me trying to set up Zoom technology. So <laughs> I agree with it was Ben's point to be fair that I've stolen, but being punctual, being on time, and, and if you say you're going to do something, do it. So I suppose in uh, in, in the physio field, we are um, normally in some sort of clinic-based role where we, we, we've got time um, times to keep with, with people. And if we say that we're going to send them some exercises, we need to suppose, make sure that we, we stay true to that. Definitely. I agree with that. What about you, Paul? What do you think? I'd say one of the main non- non-academic things would be sort of communication, like A, how you get through to someone, because sort of the longer I've been a clinician, the longer you know that it's more about behavioural change rather than anything else. And you can tell people to do X, Y, Z, but A, if they don't have a clue why they're doing it or the purpose of it and what the reason is, then the likelihood of them doing it is a lot less. So I think general communication, building rapport, almost coaching them through their issue rather than demanding that they do different things. Mm. No, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. I, th- I think as um, when, when you start off a bit fresh and wet behind the ears as a, as a physio, you think you've got to know every single special test under the sun. You've got to be in clinic. You've got to know what each of the pathologies are, the insertion, the origin, the, the attachments, whatnot of the muscles and tendons, etc. But I, I really think the more you, you progress through your career, I think it's more about um, that sort of empathic listening, like finding out why they're there in the first place, um, rather than kind of what you think the narrative is, like actually listening to your um, client and, and understanding what, what their problems are and what their history is. Because without knowing that and really getting the full story, you're, you're never really going to be able to then communicate what you think and get the buy-in, as you said, Paul, um, to actually um, build a therapeutic relationship and, 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 and get a good outcome. Um, I think those soft skills are some of the most important. I definitely agree with that, like, as well as obviously being punctual. If you're not punctual, not there on time, no one's going to expect you, are they? Um, <laughs> yeah, there'll, there'll be no one there to talk to them, will there? You're not if they're in the room and you knock on the door and come in. And, oh, okay, you're in my room. Yeah, yeah. It's constantly in a waiting room. Yeah. <laughs> I, think I, agree, I agree with the empathy as well i think just just and, and and getting to understand what their goal is what they're trying to achieve i mean everyone's everyone's on their own path and is trying to achieve what they want to achieve from different different things and um if you can empathize with them and, and, and get into their shoes um and understand what what they're looking to try and achieve that's that's uh, really key to getting a good good outcome for for them following on from that question um a little bit more into your role dave yeah you you must work you work across a big organization um and within within that you work within lots of different clients so different companies and you go in in your normal role before the pandemic you'd go into different companies right and and see different clients how do you how do you find that um it differs in terms of the types. Is there different types of people that you see? And do you have to kind of put a different hat on at times because people are doing different jobs, right? And oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one of the beauties of working in, in, 
in this field I think you get to meet all types of people from all different backgrounds and um, for example a company might have um, a CEO and director at the top and then um, who, who, who has a bad back or a bad shoulder is the same as um, uh, a cleaner who is working night shifts grinding away uh, working just as hard but also with a bad back and a bad shoulder so um, yeah absolutely we see we see the whole range and that's the beauty really everyone generally just sort of equalized in the face of some sort of back pain or shoulder pain it, it doesn't treat people too much too differently um it's just how you respond to it and i guess that's the the challenge um some people need um a bit of tlc and they need a, a lot of guidance some people just want to be told right these are the two things to concentrate on go away and and, and crack on with it so um yeah i'm sure you get that in your practice as well um just tailoring your approach to to the individual absolutely um and, and one thing that's interesting about your role is is um that obviously compared to how, how you started off in, in sport and private practice, now it's a, it's a lot less hands-on. Um, how, how do you find that, that kind of works in terms of what approaches do you tend to use mainly with your um, clients? I'm talking in terms of, obviously there's a lot of assessing, but in terms of like your interventions, what, what do you tend to do? Yeah, I think, I think uh, a bit like what Paul was saying, understanding um, what... Uh, what the other challenges are aside from just the the physical ones that you you get in the assessment so um for example general well-being how are they feeling about things are they anxious and stressed about the different things whether that be the, their back pain or whether that be work whether they're under the pump from their boss um whether they enjoy their job or not um all of these other what you could call sort of psychosocial things coming in alongside the sort of biological um, things will um, will be as important I would say if not more important to to um, to discuss so that's that's something I was trying to focus on um, and, and and spend as much time as I can with with people and um, I guess that's what we're having to do at the moment we're having to understand where people are working from home what's uh, what are the challenges um, and, 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 and getting around that. And interestingly, one thing that I have noticed is for some people, this whole lockdown is really um, challenging and it's stressful, it's creating anxiety. Um, they're working in a noisy environment at home. Um, they've got one dining table between two or three. Um, they haven't got a comfortable chair set up necessarily. They're, they're, they have their comfort is almost their office set up and mm -hmm. um, other people are absolutely loving the freedom to cr sort of create how you want to work that flexibility you could say um, making the most of their setup but also using the opportunity to move more to exercise a bit more maybe to get outside for a breath of fresh air rather than be sort of on the 26th floor of an office and think, oh, I can't really have time for that. Yeah. Uh, not having to commute. Um, so obviously everyone's got different scenarios, but there can be a lot of positives that we can sort of tap into. And yeah, there's, I guess there's a, real, there's a real contrast there in, in two things that you've said about people's experiences. And obviously there's, I guess there's a, a spectrum of that. And, um, but if we, if we talk about your, some of your real life clients that you've seen yeah. who, are, who are sharing um, maybe a dining table, they don't have a comfortable chair, 
Um, yeah. They might have screaming kids in the background. They might have a dog yeah. under their feet. Uh, yeah. What what do you start? Where do you start? Where do you start with those people? Because fundamentally, they'll be looking to you to try and give them some advice. What kind of things would you be would you be starting off with? Well, I normally start off with the things that they'd be expecting me to start with. To be honest, so they're they're desperate to tell you about what what setup they have and 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 what they don't have in a way, and that's fair enough. You know, I'd be the same. I don't have a monitor screen. Um, and it's causing me to have to work looking down with, uh, to, to a laptop that's flat on a dining table, for example. Uh, and that does entail some challenges because looking down for a long period of time is going to place more strain, likely to place more strain around the, some of the neck joints. Um, it's likely that the muscles around the neck and shoulders are going to have to tighten up a little bit, potentially, if they're, if they're doing that for a long period. So... It's trying to see can we be clever with what you've got. If if your if your company can't provide a, a widescreen monitor, then we need to get creative and adapt. So raising that onto a, a box would be um, probably the easiest thing to do. Um, trying to get the top of the screen to roughly eye level or whatever you find in in your office works for you. Um, in terms of the things you'd need to achieve that, you really need a, key, a separate keyboard and mouse to, to do that. So maybe that's the sort of thing you're investing in rather than a monitor screen, um, a separate keyboard and mouse that you can plug in and that way you can get the screen at eye level and the keyboard and mouse at roughly elbow, elbow level. So as you would in, in, in the office, you don't have to get too particular about if it's absolutely aligned. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's small small margins but actually the, as long as you're not really having to hitch your shoulders up is what I would say tends to really um, cause a bit of strain around the shoulders if you're doing it all day long so um, if you can if you can try and make sure your shoulders aren't having to hitch too far and at the same time you're not leaning really far down with your arms and or on your arms that will help your shoulders and neck muscles just have a happy relatively happy time mm. um, in terms of chair we most people are sitting on a dining chair and obviously it's not as comfortable it's not adjustable for height um so you might have shorter users that are really uh, struggling to get up to to their work surface um or, or six foot sixes who are really struggling to even fit on the chair so trying to use cushions where you can. So a cushion to sit on if you want to raise your chair height or potentially a cushion just around the lower back, that arch in your lower back, just to help give it a bit more support than it, than it already has. Um, really important one would be making sure your feet are flat on the floor. Uh, if you're there sitting there listening to this now and you're, you're on your tiptoes or your feet are sort of tucked under you, it's going to be quite challenging to maintain that stable base of support and you'll therefore have to lean on the desk or sort of start leaning on, on other things which can can um, not be not be that helpful um, so yeah feet well supported good support around your back if you can if you can get it um, and making sure that your um, arms are comfortably relaxed by your side and your neck is in, in as neutral position as, as possible Saying that, and you'll know this better than me, there's no right perfect posture. And I think that's the key thing I would try and emphasize here is a lot of people will focus on um, trying to get a perfect posture and there just isn't one. Um, and um, 
we, we all know if you if you sit in the, the position of the picture that it shows you how you should sit you're going to get tired and sore if you hold that for for too long so have the confidence to move regularly um, have the confidence to slouch if it feels comfortable as long as you don't do it for too long have the confidence to sit up straight if you, if you want to as long as you don't do it for too long I mean, coming into a little bit away from the work scene, but having the confidence to bend and pick things up, mm. um, having the confidence to do things that your back, for example, your neck would normally do. Um, it's really important that we get away from trying to have uh, do things perfectly and, and set up perfectly. It's really about variety and uh, a good posture is one that changes regularly. I think there's some absolute gems in there. I think you'd probably agree, Paul. I think... Oh, totally. I'd say the one thing I see in clinic the most is probably people trying to be in a perfect posture all the time. So they're mm. almost sitting bolt upright. And the one little thing I'd say with the arch support that you suggest, Dave, is mm. for me, if I had an arch support, I'd, I wouldn't be able to sit for any time. It's my back mm-hmm. so flat. Yeah. Um, I, so, so when you're sitting, would you suggest more if it's comfortable? A bit like if you're choosing trainers, just pick one that are the most comfortable. Yeah. Or like rather than you should be this, should be that, because that might obviously vary from people, person to person yeah. a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. You're spot on. Uh, let comfort be your guide is what I often say. Um, and your body is unique, you know. No one's the same. We're all different emotionally, physically. So why would a set picture or someone telling you you must sit like this um, work? It doesn't make sense. So trying to let comfort be your guide and go with what you find comfortable. If if you're sitting straight and your back is really tense and someone's told you along the way that that's what you have to do to, to, to avoid back pain, then I would personally ignore that and go with what your body's saying so if it's feeling good hold it there that's fine if it's feeling really tense then you need to be moving and changing that position if you you've always seen that person in the office i don't know if you can recall someone where they're slouched right back really sort of uh, probably don't look that productive but slouched right back in the chair arms really far out stretched you know looking up at the screen and you're thinking, oh, you need to, you're going to get a bad back when you're older. And, and funnily enough, that, that person has found a comfortable position. And as long as they don't hold it for too long, it's probably going to be doing better than the person who is desperately trying to hold themselves in the picture that they've been told to hold. Um, and, uh, and, and, and as a result, it's, it's not moving enough. I think that's, yeah, that's, you, you're absolutely right. I think that example, and this probably... Um, applies to maybe us when we were at uni those people slouching back and and <laughs> laying there in our uh, lecture in our lecture theatres that slump back and actually <laughs> it is a comfortable position and you might be falling asleep and snoozing during your, your lectures but um definitely actually if you're not in that position for too long it's not going to be bad for you i think that's really important to take home. i'd like to say i've outgrown that position but i definitely haven't so yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah um coming back to what you're saying um both of you actually about that 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 person that you see trying to really sit upright in that almost like military tool position yeah and um, i've had a couple of people that well quite more than a couple of people come to clinic with that and i, and I always try to give an, another example of another part of the body and i just i try and give the the fist example mm. like if you were to clench your fist for 
most of your day because for some unknown reason, someone had told you that's the best position for your hand and you were clenching your fist. How long is that going to take you to become tired in, in that? Now, I've been clenching my fist here for about 20 seconds and my, my knuckles are going white and my, my, my hands are starting to get tired. The same thing might, might apply. It might apply to other parts of your body. If you're trying to hold yourself upright, those muscles either side of your spine, the paraspinals, are probably going to get tired. They're going to get tight. It might even get a bit stiff. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's, that could be another example of a, of a take home for someone. Yeah, I agree. And with that, with that example, if you, I mean, anyone who's listening, who's still listening, <laughs> yeah. sorry if I've been boring you. If you, um, <laughs> if you hold your wrist like Ben's suggesting, tense it up and then actually um, try and move it forwards and backwards, side to side, just feeling it, it just feels tense and tight and clicky and horrible really. If you then just, just relax that hand, it's the same joint, same wrist, bend it forwards and backwards, how smooth it's meant to move. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not too far off with, with any joint in your, in your body really. They've all got muscles that if are tight are gonna restrict their movement and make them sore. And I'll tell you, that brings us on nicely to a question that I got from uh, Graham Dodd. And he said, how can we sort of reduce neck pain and back pain and aches and pains through the day when working from home? Any tips and advice? Yeah, thanks for the question, Graham. Um, so I would, first thing I would say for neck, one that works really well would be um, just stretching the sides of the neck. So starting off by just taking a uh, leaning back in your chair look into the left all the way to the left all the way to the right and then take your chin all the way to your chest once you've loosened it up a little bit you can then hold into that position those positions that we've just gone into so left ear to left shoulder and just hold the feeling so that that you can feel stretched down the side of your neck do the same the other side and then chin to chest. If you aren't feeling too much of a stretch, you can always bring your, your hand just gently onto your head and just pull the head just gently. But again, if it's uncomfortable, just, just ease off slightly. Yeah, that's great. We're all doing those now, Dave, and they feel phenomenal. Yeah. I've got, I've got a nice one for the back. Um, so upper back, um, if you perch on the edge of your chair, imagine you're a bird. You're going to open your arms, stay with me here, you're going to have to open your arms with your elbows slightly bent and try and open your chest as wide as you can, okay? The feeling you should be getting is a really good stretch across the pectoral muscles, the chest muscles. You can extend your arms all the way out if you, if you, if you prefer um, and you should be feeling a real opening of the, of the chest. That area is one that gets really tight as we're working particularly on laptops keyboards mice so that's a really nice one to, to do um, you can't do too much of it so whenever you get the chance to do that hold that for 20 to 30 seconds if you can tie in some breathing Graham that would be spot on because relaxing as you do these stretches um, uh, is not only going to help you get a better range of movement but it's also going to help you just chill out and take a second away from what you were sort of diving into in work last one i would say would be for the back just a simple if you can't walk away from the desk standing at the desk and just putting your hands in the small of your back and just gently arching back uh, and doing that five to ten times um we call them lumbar extensions will be a really nice way to um get the back 
in moving backwards rather than always being sort of sat slightly forwards. Um, if you can, uh, if you can't do that standing, then just perch on the edge of your chair and just do the same, but, but sitting on the edge of the chair. So if you're in a long conference call, yeah, there's nothing stopping you from doing it. I think that's How often, cool. Dave, would you recommend? How often? Sort of doing a bit of mo motion, yeah, during the um, day. So the guide, gu guidance is generally, in terms of research, it's around two to five minutes every hour. Okay, so you need to be clever with that. You might not be able to take five minutes away walking away from your desk. Um, that might not be possible due to workload, due to other factors. But making sure you're consciously moving your body, your neck, your back, your shoulders for at least two minutes um, is key. If you can do longer than that, then the, the, the more you can do, the better, basically. But I think people have to be aiming for at least two to five minutes every hour. My specific advice. I think it comes back to what you were saying earlier about um, just making sure that there, there is no perfect position, but you don't want to be in a position for too long. Sustained postures, sustained positions are the things that irritate, aggravate. Um, so if you, if you can use that general advice and, and some of those really specific exercises you gave regularly, that's, that's going to be a great thing. Um, Paul, there's some good research, isn't there, on, on kind of numbers and exercise and um, work, working days, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, there was a paper in The Lancet. I think people are getting to know The Lancet a bit with all the coronavirus going on as well. Um, so they found that with eight hours of desk-based work, if you could manage an hour of relatively moderate intensity exercise, basically makes you live longer. So what I generally do to people is that like it sort of brings us on to a bit of a standing desk question as well, which is a bit of a side note. But I get a lot of people that worry about being sat down all day. And I think that's where a bit of the stiff postures comes from, where they think, oh, if I stay stiff and I'm here all day, it might be a bit better. Mm. But what I tend to say is because of that evidence is, okay, you've been sat down for eight hours, maybe just sit in a relaxed position that's comfortable. But after work, do an hour of harder work to sort of offset the eight hours that you've done. Mm -hmm. But that was, the. I'll put the link in the show notes of that paper. But loved your tips, Dave, of sort of doing a little bit every hour. It could almost be the new smoking break. Yeah. <laughs> An exercise yeah. break. Absolutely. No, it's, it's really important. The little and often is key, um, I would say, for making sure you're um, not building up tension and uh, around joints but it's equally as important i would say paul as well to yeah to to do a good sustained amount of exercise and i look forward to reading that um that paper because if if i can live a bit longer and sign me up mm. certainly um i think um i think it's always nice when you've got research to back things up i know it's common sense that if you're going to be able to do an hour of moderate exercise it is going to offset kind of an eight hour working day but um i think we've all had those examples of where you may have had a really slobby day and you, you might have been 
sat on your bed or laying down watching something and actually when you when you get to go into bed at the end of the day it doesn't really feel as the same as when you've been on your feet moving around i think that's yeah. the, those those two big extremes is, is what you've got to always reinforce to people like you've almost got to earn the right to relax like get, go out go out and do that walk go out and do that cycle go and do some bloody squats and, yeah. and things like that and, yeah. and, and especially if you're if you're at work and sat at home not at work at home at the moment for eight hours a day you've, you've got to go out there and do that, that that exercise and i think most people are i've never seen so many people who are, who are running and, and cycling yeah. at the moment so it's a good yeah thing. because it, it helps you allow to do that as well a bit more now which is great so people definitely need to make the most of that um interesting what you what you're saying there about um you, i've definitely had those days where you're getting you get you finish the day and you just feel you just don't feel satisfied do you you, you should you feel like you should because you've done exactly what you wanted to do you've like watched whatever you wanted but yeah you don't you don't you just something there so um i guess not naturally enjoying exercise as much as some people do um Ben, you're an example. You obviously love love exercising. It's great. I would say that it's funny. Every time you do do a bit of exercise, even if it's really, really short, just a short burst, you do feel better. Uh, well, I, I personally do, and and I think that's backed up by the science. The endorphins just go yeah. rushing, rushing around the body. Um, and yes, that first minute might not be great, but generally you finish and you just feel great and you feel energized. And when you didn't want to do the exercise because you felt tired, but you actually feel more energized after it, which is yeah, bad, isn't it? But I guess that's the beauty of the science of your body. It wants to exercise and it will reward you for it. Definitely. And I've definitely had clients where they have this, this mindset that their body's a bit like a battery. And they, they think that if they're doing really, or they, it may have been from their parents or families or their beliefs or their culture that they're, body is almost like a finite resource and that if you work yourself too hard or if you do too much you're going to drain it and you'll take away from they also talk some people talk about their knees and oh you're wearing out your knees if you do exercise and you do this and do that but what you've said is is definitely what i feel after exercise i feel energized and even if i feel like first thing in the morning that i I cannot be asked to go out and do that run. I always just bear in mind that feeling that you get afterwards is that you always feel energized. I'm always more productive after I do it. And sometimes, yeah, I can't be bothered to go out and do a 10K or, or whatever I'm planning to do. But even if you, you then go out and have a walk or you go out and do a, a 1K or a 2K or a 3K, whatever it is, um, you'll always feel better afterwards. So, yeah, it's, it definitely does give more than it takes away from you exercise. Yeah. I agree. And some I'd, say though, I'd say with that good feeling, though, that I think some people think you go for one run, then all of a sudden you're happy as Larry and you couldn't be better. It's of that. And I'm definitely one not on the other end of the spectrum to you, Ben, regarding exercise. And yeah, I, I know it always feels better, but it's always tough. And I think knowing that it's always tough for some, like for me, it's like it doesn't matter how much I do. I always find it hard to do, knowing yeah. the benefits of it. But um, it's like what I've always said, motion is lotion with these things that your body always wants the opposite to what it actually needs. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and, and yeah. that's the point that I think, especially people who, who have exercised and done things for a long time, like, for example, running. I've, I've really only seriously got into my running in the last couple of years. Um, and even recently before the lockdown, I was, I was doing more 
gym work. So I was doing more intervals on the treadmill, doing more weights and wasn't doing as much endurance running. And it has taken me like seven weeks to actually go out for my first 10K where I was like, actually, this feels easy. So what you've just said, Paul, is right. And I think, although, yeah, the fit, we're trying to kind of ram the message home that exercise feels great and is good, but actually it does take a while for it to become a bit more comfortable and easy is a graft easy yeah. to forget that when we when we talk about it. it doesn't have to be running i think uh, as you say paul like running can feel freaking hard so can a lot of exercise gyms like scare a lot of people uh, i generally don't really like gyms that much but one thing that does tend to also help well, that i find alongside a little bit of exercise and that can be a walk that can be, you know, it's been shown again and again that walking is one of the most effective ways to, to manage uh, chronic lower back pain, for example, as a, as a, and that is uh, something that affects a lot of people in the UK. Just walking for half an hour can, can make a significant improvement in that, and that shouldn't feel too too uh sort of horrible or you don't get too sweaty or you, it's not too draining um compared to running um, and i guess you get the benefits of sunlight and i think that's another thing that is critical uh, while we're in this lockdown working from home you've got to get outside get the sun in the eyeballs mm. uh get those endorphins going that it seems to have the same effect and i'm sure it's couldn't quote it but it's, it's proven again and again sunshine makes you feel better uh yeah. and the vitamin d that comes with it as well and, and we know yeah, yeah. What, what what effect that and dietary um vitamin d has on musculoskeletal health so the um yeah. rheumatologists will be loving this time when it's sunny and and they're people are outdoors and getting their fix rather than be stuck in their office so no i think that's um, that's another good benefit of it just get that sun cream on if it's too hot <laughs> oh, yeah you know me and factor 50 are old friends so Ooh. Dave's just showing his tan lines there. Yeah, I've got a real bad burn on the neck at the weekend. It's not, not good. Should have worn sun cream. Definitely. Um, good. I, I think it probably uh, some of the stuff you've, you've given today should, for anyone listening, um, Dave, it, it's been so, so helpful. I mean, it, definitely even the, the way you do your job and, and um, experience that you have, it's just nice to... Um, how, how concise you've been able to give that advice. So just want to run through a few things with you and then just, just kind of add anything in, Paul and, and Dave, that we may have missed. So when talking about setting up at home, obviously, regardless of what setup you've got, um, you said it's a good idea just to try and raise um, whatever you have up. It doesn't have to be a monitor. It can be a laptop, whatever computer you've got up to try and get it to eye level. But it doesn't have to be eye level. It's just whatever's comfortable for you. Um, so often that can be helped by having a separate keyboard and mouse. Um, so rather than spending thousands or getting your company to, to ship and prioritize sending out a monitor, getting your own um, keyboard and mouse is, is just as beneficial. Um, comfort's key when it comes to your chair, even if it's, it doesn't have to be a, a fancy ergonomic chair, but um, giving some support maybe in the lumbar spine you spoke about with some cushions would be really good. Trying to get a good base. so feet on the floor, um, sitting flat, um, and reassuring people that there is no right or perfect position. Um, the, you're only as good as your next posture is one that I've, I've heard people say. Um, and I think you, you use the phrase that I really liked is just having the confidence to go into any position. So um, moving regularly, 
uh, changing position is really key. Is there anything else that you kind of would like to add? Yeah, you summarised it really nice, Ben. Good, a good posture is one that varies regularly. Yeah. With the having the base of support, Dave, with say their their legs aren't long enough to hit the ground, would yeah. you then get them to put their feet on books or something yeah. to get Absolutely. that going? Really important, uh, really important that you've got a solid base of support with your feet. Um, you, you won't need a foot rest if your feet can reach the floor. If they can't reach the floor, then yes, a foot rest or anything that does the job of a foot rest. I mean, a foot rest is a glorified bit of plastic. So if you can, if you can get a folder, an old book, uh, anything that is going to just stay there and give you that stable base. Um, is really really important it will take a lot of the load away from your lower back and the rest of your body because you'll be able to put weight through your legs perfect and i think it's also important to say that what what you do dave is for um companies but it also at this time applies to um everyone like there's millions of people who are studying at home at the moment people who aren't at uni people who aren't at school so this is all useful advice for them i'm sure there's people sat home in some awful positions for long periods so anyone that's listening this could be for your kids this could be for your teenagers this could be for your friends so um pass on dave cola brown's uh good words and and, and try and disseminate that information out there is there anything more you want to add paul uh no, I think that's, I mean, I would quite like to quickly get into whether Dave, what Dave's opinion is on standing desks. Mm, yeah, that's true. I, that's something we get asked a lot in clinic, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, well, I think the, the concept of them is, is, is excellent because you're basically um, giving yourself another option to change position. So you can technically sit or stand rather than potentially sit or walk away from the desk. Um, it's very helpful when you are um, needing to adjust your desk height to a particular height, though normally that can be done without a, a standing desk. So if, if you're um, working and you feel your desk is too low, before jumping to a standing desk, for example, you can raise the desk up with, with things. Um, but in, in, the idea of, I think you're getting to, which is does it help in terms of keep you healthy within the workplace? Um, it really depends on utilization. I think how much you would use it is the key. And are you going to use it effectively? Using a standing desk effectively means sitting for no longer than you start to experience some comfort, you could say, um, or before that. So when we're saying let comfort be your guide, if you're sitting, you're starting to get a little bit uncomfortable, then you stand, then you stand, and you start to get a little bit uncomfortable when you sit, that's working well. And that's going to vary for everybody. So I think one of the things I see people misuse it for is they'll sit for the morning and stand for the afternoon. And there's very few people that can stand for three hours without some form of discomfort. You, you, they'll actually just be doing it because they've been told to do it or they think they should split it 50 50. Um, so as long as you're varying, you're using it to vary your position, then it can be a great thing. I just think being conscious standing for too long is, can be just as problematic as sitting for too long in terms of strain on certain joints. And, and actually, you've lost the support of the backrest of the chair as well. Um, and it's very standing still is very different to walking. And I would argue that walking is far better 
than standing still. Uh, and you'll know that from standing on the tube or standing in a shopping line, you're just desperate to move. You? So what's the best thing? Regular movement by far. Yeah. But if you really feel that your tolerance of sitting is so short that you can't actively manage your comfort levels, then potentially a standing desk is, is something that may be, uh, may be helpful. Um, there's some interesting points there and, and definitely something I think would be good to raise for some people because it, when you're given this great advice, there's definitely a few rare examples that I've got in clinic that I see people who come in with really unhelpful pain beliefs um, and they come in and they think that, that um, any sort of pain or discomfort is bad. So for those types of people I'm talking about, they might sit down for sort of two minutes and then they start to get a bit of an ache and a pain. What you should do if that is you who is listening is, is go and seek out the, the advice of someone like Dave or someone like Paul or myself who can number one, tell you whether that discomfort is, is a, a pain that you should be worried about or not worried about. And most of the time, 99% of the time when, when we cleared those 1% sort of red flag questions, discomfort, pain, tension tightness they're not bad for you what what dave is doing is optimizing positions and 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 making you change positions regularly and being a bit more cognizant about that so that was the only just one one thing i just wanted to add in there because you know we've all seen those people in clinic who who do think like that yeah i agree and, and you do see a lot of people in work who are just persisting with discomfort and they've had it for years and they haven't necessarily gone to see anyone about it or they've read something up online or they've been to see one person who didn't really work out for them and then they've just gone well all physios aren't aren't worth seeing uh the amount of times i've seen i've, I've been to physio i went a few times it just didn't work for me and that was felt five years ago you know i think for any listeners out there who are experiencing any discomfort i would say make sure you if it's been persisting for for longer than say six weeks for example six weeks to 12 weeks i would definitely seek out some support and professional guidance from a, a physio um, and i could highly recommend ben and paul um, for that i would personally recommend them to people that ask me who live anywhere near them um, i think you can get a lot of physios um, and other health professionals that can do an okay job but these two guys will uh, absolutely get to the get to the point and get you to where you need to be so um, thanks for having me on and i'm glad to see you still doing your stuff and getting it out there even in these difficult times yeah, thanks mate i'll send that bank transfer for that plug yeah another virtual <laughs> can you edit that bit out paul please but, um, <laughs> yes <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Dave. You're a, you're a top man. I always think um, in any situation, what would Dave do? Um, you're always a, a good bloke, so I know you're doing a lot of good now. So thanks again, mate. Appreciate it. Right. No worries, mate. Right. Are you genuinely editing that, editing that out? No. No, we'll keep No it. chance, mate. No. We only do one take. This is an authentic pod. Have, have you paid some royalties to Bill and Ben, the flower pot men? No, but now you've mentioned them. See, see, I've got to edit that out now. Though. <laughs> <laughs> That's more work for me. <laughs> and yeah, I just want to say massive thank you to you, Dave, as well. Absolutely great tips there. Sort of really logical and nice, balanced, evidence-based, what we would like to say. Um, but no, thanks for coming on, mate. And secondly, thank you to Carol 
and Graham for the questions. I was loving that we got some questions already. So you can fire them away. We've got an email now. We're very modern. So it's, uh, you can email us at injurymen at gmail.com or you can visit the website and there's a form at bfrphysio.com slash podcasts. But questions about injuries, health, fitness, anything like training. Yeah, we're more than happy to answer them all. But yeah, but thanks again, Dave, so much. It's been great. Thank you.